0: Uh, there now. For those of you whose kids are remaining in the service, we love having kids in the service. Um, We do not mind the noise. They are most welcome here and uh, as they seek to learn as we're all learning the rhythms of our worship as we gather. Um, We have been over the uh, past several months, we've just been reading selections from our Statement of Faith, the 1689 London confession of faith in this morning and we've been going through over the last few weeks chapter five which deals with the providence divine providence um and uh and we're going to look this morning at paragraph five of chapter five which says this the most wise righteous and gracious god Dove oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruptions of their own heart to chastise them for their former sins or to reveal unto them the hidden strength of corruption and the deceitfulness of their hearts so that they might be humbled. And to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin. And for other just and holy ends, so that whatsoever befalls any of his elect is by his appointment for his glory and for their good. If you have your Bibles with me, turn to the book of Exodus. And while you're doing that, kind of put your thumb there and also turn to Hebrews. So we're going to Exodus chapter 20, Hebrews Chapter 10 are going to be kind of these foundational texts for us. Although like last week, we're going to be um, moving around a little bit um, as we work through the sermon this morning. But we started last week with doing a short uh, sermon series, uh, fleshing out some particulars of our uh, local church. But my prayer is, is that you'll see that these particulars... Really, shouldn't be particular to us, right? That um, what we're seeking to do, by God's grace, is to allow the Scriptures to to shape the contours of our worship of of the Lord and of our devotion to one another. And, and last week, we defined three important terms here at Deer Park Fellowship: biblical. Reformed and Joyful, and this morning what we're going to do is we're going to examine why it is that we put such an emphasis on the regular gathering of God's church, right? Why, why do we gather every Sunday, every Lord's Day, even if it's Christmas Day, right? And the aim this morning is to, to give you three uh, primary reasons why we gather each Lord's Day as God's church, why we should gather, Each Lord's Day is God's church. And and I want to read these two passages of Scripture that I mentioned in Exodus chapter 20 and Hebrews chapter 10 that again will kind of lay the foundation, uh, will be the the groundwork here um, that we will do, that, that will anchor us for the rest of this morning. But let me start by reading Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 to 11. And then I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25, and then I'm going to pray, and then we will work um, together through the various passages we're looking at. And so the word of the Lord says this, the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. A second passage in the New Testament, Hebrews 10, if you want to flip over. Start with verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, right, in light of that, the preacher to the Hebrews says, he says, let us draw near with a true heart, In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love in good works, not forsaking, this is critical, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more the more as you see the day approaching. When we go to the Lord in prayer, God, we thank you for allowing us together again this morning, God. Lord, help us to not take that for granted. And Lord, we ask that your word would renew our minds on the significance of being together and worshiping you in spirit and in truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're taking notes and kids, you have some fill-in-the-blanks fill in, in your particular bulletin so you can look on with your, your mom or your dad. But the first thing that we need to see is that God invented the Sabbath and that it's to be kept by all Christians Okay, God invented the Sabbath, and it's to be kept by all Christians. I I spent some time, actually two particular sermons I preached last October, for those of you who are here, and you're more than welcome to go back and listen. But we looked at, as we were going through the early chapters of the Gospel of Mark, we looked at various Sabbath controversies. But we need to remember and we need to internalize the idea that the Sabbath is a creation mandate. It's a creation mandate, which means we see it instituted even before the fall of man, right? We see it instituted in the book of Genesis. And this is exactly how Moses, how the Holy Spirit through Moses communicates the fourth commandment that I just read to you in Exodus chapter 20. It's how he communicates the fourth commandment to the Israelites, right? He appeals in in the fourth commandment to God resting as a pattern after he created the cosmos in the span of six days, right? So our, our triune God worked for six days and he rested on the seventh day. He rested on the Sabbath, right? And, and of course he he didn't do this because he was tired, right? He did this for the good of man, right? Jesus in the New Testament said that the Sabbath was made for man, Mark chapter 2, verse 22, right? In other words, it's a, the Sabbath is a gift from our maker, okay? The Holy Spirit through Isaiah calls the Sabbath a delight, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13, and he connects it to our ability to delight in the Lord. In verse 14, our society recognizes the significance of holidays, uh, particularly holidays as remembrance, right? We just celebrated Christmas. We just celebrated New Year's, right? And Christians and and non-Christians attach some significance to those particular cultural holidays, all right, we'll soon have Martin Luther King Jr. Day, right, instituted because of his significant voice in the, the civil rights movement. Holidays mean something. Holidays mean something. All right, and our good and wise and sovereign triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit built into the fabric of creation one holiday a week for you and me. A holiday a week for you and me. And I've said this to you before, but if man needed a weekly holiday before the fall, right? How much more do we need a weekly holiday since sin has entered the world, right? Since the thorns and thistles of life have entered the world, right? But God's holiday calls us to remembrance as well, right? It's a holiday that reminds us that Jesus is our rest, it's a holiday that reminds us of his sufficient spilled blood upon Calvary. It's a holiday that reminds us that there's an empty tomb when we're tempted to despair. It's a holiday that reminds us that one day our tombs, those of us in Christ, right, will be empty too, and that we'll be with him forever. It's a holiday that reminds us that it's, as I said in a moment ago, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, Romans 2, 4. It's a holiday that reminds us that our transgressions have been removed as far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103, 12. It's a holiday that reminds us that Jesus is our eternal high priest. It's a holiday that reminds us that the Spirit of God is our comforter and our guarantor of our eternal inheritance. A weekly holiday that's right? a bomb to a soul that is constantly being plagued by sin and accused by who the scriptures call the accuser of the brethren, right? That ancient serpent, the devil. Oh, a weekly rest, a weekly holiday. Why would we willfully neglect it, right? Why would this not be the most important day of our week? And, and what is this holiday to look like? specifically what's it to look like for us right first right again we get this from our text this morning in exodus chapter 20 it's to be a rest from your labors right that could be the put off part of the the sabbath if you will right the lord says through moses he says in it in the in, in the sabbath you shall do no work right whatever your regular labors are you cease you cease, right? Whatever your work duties, they can wait until tomorrow, right? Turn off the phone. Don't check your email. Now, I get that some of us may have emergency response jobs, right? Doctors and police officers and firemen, and these are permissible, of course, works of necessity that we've talked about before, but generally speaking, we rest from our labors. In the six days that God gives us to labor are sufficient to get what it is that we need to get accomplished. All right. So that's the put off, but that isn't all that the Sabbath is right. If the Sabbath is as Exodus 20 says as well as unto the Lord, it's a Sabbath as unto the Lord. And that should be evident already this morning. What the, 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 the significance again of this, this weekly holiday, this regular rhythm of rest that we're getting, but we forget. And again, we, 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 we may refrain from our labors, but we forget that we refrain from our labors to make room for something else, right? What we make room for is worship on the Sabbath. And that doesn't mean that we aren't worshiping the Lord the other six days of the week, but there is, as we rest from our labors, an opportunity for us to be more God-focused, right? Less distracted in our worship of the Lord. It's an opportunity for us to be more others focused as well as we seek to love and serve one another. Now, again, for many of you in this room, this may be review, but it's important for us to be reminded we as a church, right? We, and some of you may be saying this already. We don't gather on the seventh day. We don't gather on Saturday, right? The original Sabbath, we gather on the first day of the week, Sunday. Why is that? Well, the reason that's the case is it's the pattern that we see ever since the resurrection of Jesus Christ right acts chapter 20 verse 7 1st corinthians chapter 16 verse 2 revelation chapter 1 verse 10 right and every and in, in other words every single sunday is resurrection sunday right every sunday is resurrection sunday and we see this practice all the way down not just in as a a a habit that we see formed in the New Testament. We see it in the patristic age. We see it in the medieval age. We see it through the Reformation all the way until now. And that's significant for us because what we need to see is that Jesus didn't abolish the fourth commandment in his first advent in the same way that he didn't abolish the other nine commandments in his first advent. He fulfilled them. He kept them, right? Because we're not capable of keeping them with Without any sort of measure of vice, there's always vice mixed with any sort of virtue this side of eternity. But God didn't abolish, or Jesus didn't abolish God's moral law. And we are, as Christians, by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, we're to seek to obey God's moral law as a people who are justified and sanctified and glorified by Christ alone. right? As it is his his law for us, his moral law, it reveals to us what righteousness is and what unrighteousness looks like. Right? It says law that helps us to understand how God's world works best. Right? Any Christian, right, and we've all broken a commandment, and hopefully we would say that in the breaking of, of one of God's commandments, his revealed moral law, we could testify to the devastation that comes when you do that. Because God knows how his world works best because he's the creator and the sustainer of the world. And he's the creator and sustainer of you and me. So the Sabbath, it hasn't been, hasn't been abolished. Right? It has become reasserted in its proper place in light of the rest that Jesus Christ brings us. The spiritual rest that Jesus Christ brings, right? So you see, the, the, this weekly holiday, it no longer, like as it was in the Old Testament, it no longer comes after your labors anymore. Have you ever thought about that? Right, you no longer work, then rest. That's not how things are now. Now the way things are is you rest, then you work. You rest then you work, right? You labor after having rested. And isn't that a significant picture of the gospel for us? Right? You don't earn your spiritual rest. I don't earn my spiritual rest through our works, right? We don't earn our salvation, right? Christ, he accomplished that. Christ, he's secured that for us, and we labor in light of the salvation that God has pre- freely provided To us. And and we're reminded as we labor that any good that we do accomplish this side of eternity is also all of grace. It's all of grace. It's Christ in us. We We can't even boast about our good works. So we have to obey the fourth commandment, generally speaking, right? Unless there's extenuating circumstances on the Lord's day, right? Jesus resurrected on Sunday signifying new creation. And we rest on Sunday celebrating that new creation, that spiritual creation and that Christ bodily and eternally resurrected from the dead. We celebrate that every single Lord's day. Isn't that glorious? We have the opportunity to even do that. It's incredible. Right, but before I move on from this point, right, I'm, I'm putting it positively for us, but let me put it negatively for us for a moment just to drive the point home, right? If you're regularly absent from Lord's Day worship, from the Lord's Day gathering, and again, there are circumstances which arise in our lives from time to time that prohibit us from being able to gather. But if you're regularly absent because the Lord's Day isn't a priority for you, right? You're breaking the fourth commandment. You're breaking the fourth commandment. And the way out isn't excuses. The way out is repentance of sin, right? The way out is to confess your sins before the Lord and commit yourself to gathering with God's church. And this is for your spiritual good. This is for my spiritual good. And we'll see that even more clearly as we continue to move on this morning. But that brings us to the question, Are we really commanded us, are we commanded to gather on the Lord's day? And the answer is yes. Again, we see that as the biblical pattern. The Jewish people gathered on the Sabbath in their synagogues, and Christians gather on the Lord's day and have gathered. We see that in the, the New Testament. Again, we see that through the Christian tradition that's been handed down to us. Right, Christians are a corporate people. And I think we've kind of been plagued by individualism a little bit too much in our Western society, but Christians are a corporate people. But what exactly is to go on when we gather, right? And this question gets me to the second reason why you should regularly gather with God's church is the second reason. God invented the means by which he promises to grow you in grace and expand his kingdom on earth. Okay, God invented the means by which he promises to grow you in grace and expand his kingdom on earth. There are certain things that need to be present as as we gather regularly on the Lord's Day, and, and what we must do in order to grow in grace, right? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, we see this charge, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? We see Peter give that charge. And this growth in grace, it certainly begins at the moment that the Holy Spirit of God uh, gives us a heart of flesh, the moment that he saves us and we respond in repentance of our sin and faith in Jesus Christ alone, right? Our lives as Christians is one of being prepared for eternity, which by the way, right, we'll be gathering with all the saints and declaring for all eternity, just one cosmic song, right? Holy, holy is the Lord God almighty, right? So what we do on the Lord's day, every single Sunday is important. It's like the rehearsal for what we'll be doing for all eternity, right? But our Christian life, right, it's one of, of being conformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. It's a sanctifying process by which we will gradually move in God's timing toward glorification where we'll finally, where we'll definitively be like our Savior in our sinless and healthy and physically resurrected Body. And so our growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it matters now and it matters for all eternity. And and the same God that has orchestrated our justification and our sanctification and our glorification, right? That same God is the is the God that has ordained the means by which He brings those things about in our lives. Right. Theologians call this the means of grace. You could jot that, that phrase down. And I want to give you just a, a definition of what that means means of grace, because it's significant because we do it here every single Sunday. This is by a, an, another pastor who gives a, a better definition that I could give you. He says The means of grace are God's appointed instruments by which the Holy Spirit enables believers to receive Christ and the benefits of redemption. Although he could have chosen to reveal Christ immediately to his people, he has determined instead to do so through certain means. And here, here are those means God assigned the word sacraments and prayer to be the foremost means by which he communicates Christ and his benefits to believers. All right. So, So that means, right, God chooses the means to grow us in grace and the means that he uses to enable us to receive Christ and to receive the benefits of redemption is the word, is prayer, and is sacrament. the, The apostle Paul says, as it relates to the word being proclaimed, being preached, Romans 10 verse 17, faith comes by hearing, right, and hearing by the word of God, right? The proclamation of God's word is the ordinary means that God uses to create faith in his people. Peter, in his sermon, he says, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls, right, prays, speaks on the name of God of the Lord shall be saved. Right? This Acts chapter 2, verse 21. Right, So we see the significance of of praying to the Lord, knowing that He hears us, that we can call on Him and be saved. Right In the Great Commission, right? Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, Christ promises to be spiritually, and I'll speak about Him being spiritually present in, in just a minute, but He talks about... Uh, Christ promises to be spiritually present with us as, as we make disciples and as we give them a Trinitarian baptism, right? That, that, that baptism expressing right, God's covenant faithfulness and our union with him. And every Lord's Day, we partake of the Lord's Supper, right? A, a supper that reminds us that, that Christ is in us a supper that reminds us of his sufficient, salvific work in our lives, right? A supper that can strengthen our wobbly knees when we feel and begin to believe the lie that our sins are more powerful than our Savior, right? These means, the word and prayer and sacrament, they're the ordinary ways, the ordinary ways that God grows you, and we participate in them, and this is critical, as the bride of Christ, as the body of Christ, every single Lord's day. And again, these ways are so ordinary. They're they're, they're so counter to our pragmatic tendencies that we wrestle with believing that they actually work, don't we? I know that I can struggle with that. But we're often faithless in believing the the efficacy of what God uses to change people. It just seems too plain, too simple, too ordinary. It must be way more complicated for God to change people than through word, prayer, sacrament. Surely. This is a quote from a pastor friend of mine, Ryan Davidson, who's actually going to preach here for us in a couple of weeks. He says this, with the loss of emphasis on the means of grace, on the ordinary means of grace, many Christians are undertaught and don't even realize that the very simple ordinary means of grace are exactly what they need. Exactly what they need. Sermons have been shortened to allow for more entertainment Baptism in many evangelical circles has been turned into a party focusing only on a person's decision rather than the proclamation of God's promise. The Lord's Supper has fallen on hard times too and in many churches is rarely practiced. Corporate prayer is kept to a minimum in order to allow for other focuses. This is serious indeed for it's through these very means that the Lord has promised to bless and grow his people. And so when we gather God expects us to hear and be nourished by the preaching of the word. God expects that we actually open the word of God and we read from it and by God's spirit seek to understand it and seek to obey it and seek to treasure Christ. God expects our gathering to have focused time of corporate prayer. as a means to get to another part of the service. But to actually pray as God's church. Right? God expects us to observe the, the sacraments or the ordinances. Right? That's why we organize our service the way that we do. We want to avail ourselves of those means every single Lord's day. And it's these means that He's entrusted to His church. He's entrusted these means to his church. This is where he primarily grows us. And I would even go as far as to say that our individual readings of scripture and our individual prayers, they are the supplemental things that God graciously uses in our lives to grow us. But those things are not primary in our lives We should have individual walkings with God, absolutely, but most important, we're the body and the bride of Jesus, and we are to grow in grace as the body and the bride of Jesus. Gathering with the body of Christ for preaching, for praying, for sacrament, that's primary and it's powerful. A gathered church committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ and thus to the whole counsel of God's word and thus to one another is a powerful thing here in God's world. And the Lord uses it not only to shape us, but to shape our community, right? to shape our culture, to shape our world. This is why historically tyrannical governments have targeted the gathering of God's church. Right? Tyrannical governments don't target what you're doing in the privacy of your own home as you seek to keep your head down and do nothing that requires any public commitment whatsoever. I think of one recent example, and our, our Chinese brothers and sisters presently. I don't know how often you follow what's happening with early covenant uh, reign church with Pastor Wang Yi in China, but their elders have been imprisoned, and the church has been persecuted for years. For what? For gathering. For gathering. Why is this though? Why is this? Because the gathering of God's church is powerful. And because our enemies, those enemies that the scripture calls not flesh and blood, but those enemies which are called principalities and powers and rulers of this, uh, the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, Ephesians 6 12, right? Those enemies know. The significance, no better than us, the significance of Christ's bride gathering for the preaching of the word, for the word of God, knows right? the significance of corporate prayer, knows the significance of sacrament. And just so I can bring it to our front door for a moment, this is why some of you may be inconsistent with your gathering with God's church. Your excuses or your lack of motivation or your laziness, it's not benign, it's not harmless. It's a spiritual battle that you're losing when you don't gather. The reason why you feel sluggish, the reason why you feel demotivated oftentimes as it relates to the gathering of God's church is because it's one of the most spiritually important things you can do this side of eternity. The preacher to the Hebrews, there's words in Hebrews 10 that I read to you at the beginning of the sermon this morning which are the Holy Spirit's words, remain true for us. Do not neglect the assembling of yourselves. Hebrews 10, 25. It's where God promises to grow you and nurture you in grace. And it's the primary way that God expands his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. The enemy doesn't want the kingdom of God to expand. So there's resistance there's resistance, but God's kingdom will expand Lord's day by Lord's day. The final point this morning, point three, is Jesus is especially spiritually present with his gathered church. Jesus is especially spiritually present with his gathered church. Yes, we have access to God in Christ no matter where we are. The church is not a place, right? The church isn't a building. The temple of the curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. We don't go through a priest to get to God. We have access to God through Christ Jesus. And at the same time, we mustn't take that beautiful reality and turn it into something that the Lord never intended, which is hyper individualism. Right, again, that's what we've turned it into here in Western society. All right, the church is God's people, and God's people must gather. All right, so this building that we're in right now, this is where our local church gathers. Right, we'll look at this more in a few weeks, but we see this as it relates to the Lord's Supper, one of the means of grace, that the body of Christ must be discerned as we take it. We see that in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 29, must be discerned. We see in Scripture the command to admonish one another in our singing. All right, we're not singing as individuals as we gather, we're singing to the Lord and we're counseling, if you will, one another regarding the gospel of God as we sing the word, as we sing these rich doctrines that the word of God contains. Right, so there's a significance and a specialness to God's bride gathering. And I want to demonstrate that with just one more passage of scripture before I close us in prayer this morning. Turn to the book of Revelation with me. Revelation chapter 1. And the book of Revelation, it's a letter that, that was written to seven particular uh, congregations in Asia uh, during the life of the Apostle John, who's the, the, the author under the inspiration of the Spirit. He's the author of this letter, and, and he writes to the church during a time when persecutions on the rise, a particular wicked ruler named Nero was, was in power. And again, Christians, were, they were persecuted and they were martyred, not because they had some private faith in the comfort of their own home, right? Their faith was a public one expressed through the gathering, and its proclamation wasn't that Nero was Lord. The proclamation was that Christ is Lord. But here's one of the ways in which Jesus comforts these seven churches. And if you're familiar with the letter, rebukes them as well, right? As they face hostilities, right? The glorified Christ, he reveals himself to John, okay? And he says these words starting in verse 17 here. Do not be afraid, Jesus says. I'm the first and the last. I am he who lives And was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand. And the seven golden lampstands. And he interprets it. The seven stars are the angels. And and by angel there is meant messenger of God. In the Old Testament, we would see that used of, of prophets. In the New Testament, we see that used as pastors here. So think pastors, okay? The seven stars, which are in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels, are the pastors, okay? Of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Chapter two. To the angel... Right, to the pastor of the church of Ephesus, write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Right, right in this first letter all right, to, the, to the first church here, we see this comforting phrase. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Right, who is, again, who is he in this passage? Who is he? Right? He's Christ. Right? He's the one who now lives and was dead and is alive forevermore. He's the one who holds the keys to Hades and death. Right? He's the one who holds the stars who are the angels, again, meaning the pastors in his hand. These, these pastors, they would have been facing immense pressure and immense persecution. And Jesus says to them, I hold you. I hold you. Right? It reminds me of his promise in John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one's able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father am one, John ten twenty seven to 30. But also contained in here is something comforting to the gathering as well. The Lord Jesus Christ walks in the midst, spiritually speaking, of the lampstands. And who are the lampstands again? Not individual Christians, but the gathering. The gathering. And because we have God's word preserved and living and active, this word of comfort is true for us here this morning. Is Jesus with us as individuals and in our individual walking with God? Absolutely he is. But he is especially present with us as we gather as God's church. He's especially present with us. And that's immensely comforting. And So this morning, we want to remember together that it's our triune God who created the Sabbath and Christians are to keep it. We're to remember this morning that there are particular means that God uses to grow us in our grace and our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and particular means that he uses to expand his kingdom. And we want to avail ourselves of those means and we do that every Lord's Day through word, prayer, and sacrament. And we want to remember as we gather that Jesus is especially present with us. And we're going to remember that Uh, vividly uh, as the gospel is preached to us in picture form and as uh, our union with Christ is preached to us in picture form here as we take the Lord's Supper in just a minute. But let me pray for us, and then we will take the supper together. God, we thank you for this time in your word. God, help us, Lord, to see the significance of the gathering. Help us, Lord, to be thrilled with this weekly holiday that we get, Lord, to spend with you in community with your people. So renew our minds. Apply your word to our lives. And we love you and trust you, our good, wise, and faithful Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.